0: Father God, Lord, we've talked about the joy of reaching your heart. And as I was singing that, I thought, I don't think I ever do that. I don't think we ever can reach your heart. But Lord, in your grace, you give us glimpses. And the greatest view we have is when we sit together and remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, when we see your glory shining in the face of your Son, we see your heart. Lord, bless us, we pray, as we sing together and worship, we read, we pray, we think and we talk. Bless all the activities of this whole day together. In the name of your Son, the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Isaiah chapter 56 gets all of its power from Isaiah chapter 55. So we're going to read that together first. And Jenna is going to read for us Isaiah chapter 55.
1: Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thornbush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed.
0: There's loads of really big and uh, exciting ideas in that chapter that would be good to think about, but what I really wanted to meditate on to begin with is just two verses, verses eight and nine. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's a, for me, there's a big reassurance about that, that God's thoughts and ideas are much bigger and miles more expansive than mine. I am narrow-minded compared to God. My mind is like a pea compared to God's mind. I might think I know what God has planned, but really, I only know the half of it. Well, not even that. That is an thing to always keep in our hearts. That whatever we think, God probably thinks completely different to us. He's bigger and more majestic than anything we can comprehend. Now I like to think that through my um, years of knowing God and Jesus that I've changed. That's not bragging, it's part of the process, we should all see that. That I have become kinder, that I am more self-controlled, that my love is greater than it was um, when I started but it's nothing compared to God himself. And the reassuring thing about that, I think, is that when I see things which I think are unjust, that is nothing compared to the injustice that God sees. When I see things which I don't think are fair, I don't mean silly things like the fact that Liverpool have won won title since 1989, although that is a tragedy. Really important stuff in other, in other people's lives. When I see stuff that's unfair then God sees that all the more. I can't out-love God. I can't say that my love is bigger than God's love. It's impossible, because as we've been thinking over the last few weeks, God is love. I can't out-love God. And the reassurance that brings is that whatever questions I have of injustices I see, of things I can't get my head around as to why they are, they will be answered in God's love because God's love is bigger than mine. Now talk is cheap. So what God says in Isaiah 55, he demonstrates in Isaiah 56. And that's why that's, uh, we need to read Isaiah 55 and then 56. So Joe is going to read for us um, verses 1 to 8 of Isaiah 56. Thanks, Joe.
2: Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls memorial and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fault and who hold fast to my covenant these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations the Sovereign Lord declares he who gathers the exiles of Israel I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered
0: thank you Jay so this little passage starts off pretty innocuously in a way that all the first readers would have been quickly on board with. Basically, be good boys and girls, maintain justice, do what is right, and keep the Sabbath, etc. But then it explodes. Let me try and give you a context. For me, in my life here, other nations basically means tourist destinations, places to go and have a holiday or see something interesting or experience a different culture. And we have, on the bigger scale, things like United Nations and the EU, etc., which generally, I know this is a generalisation, keep people in tow, nations in tow a little bit. But you start to see when there's a little bit of tension that that kind of surface um, niceness tends to boil over a little bit. So when people see foreigners taking their jobs, foreigners on benefits, then slowly that facade starts to break down you start to see a glimmer of national pride and and far-right extremists. But believe me, anything we have in this country is nothing compared to what the experience of the people in this time would be from other nations. Let me set that context then. So just imagine how you'd feel... If this, if your story was not about foreigners taking all the benefits, but foreigners coming to our lands, stripping of us all our possessions, killing thousands of our people, raping our women, leading us away to work in their lands, decades of oppression, and even if we get a glimmer of hope to go back to our homeland, it's still under their rule. That's what foreigners means. And you can imagine how you'd feel about foreigners. It's not just a different culture, a different religion, just everything about them is different. And basically, they're your enemy. They're there to take what you want. And God says in verse three, let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. That's the explosion. God's ways are higher than our ways. And he says to these this national people who knew themselves as Israelites or Egyptians or Syrians or Nahash the Ammonites, or what, they knew each other by their nation. And he's saying, I'm bringing you all together. And then he says in the second half of that verse, Let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. Who were eunuchs? They were people who had been emasculated, they'd been castrated. And the reason was that people used them to be reliable servants. Okay, so you basically took away all their dignity, all their hope of a future, so that they'd be docile servants in your court. You could leave a a eunuch in charge of your harem and you'd have no worries about anything going on. And this was translated a little bit into Jewish law as well. You like to um, go to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of God. And we're going to move on pretty quickly from that one. An interesting topic for discussion at lunchtime is why is that verse in the law if what God really thinks is what we're reading here in Isaiah chapter um, 56. But the point is that they were made to be different. They stood out as being abnormal. The act was usually done early enough so that their hormones um, weren't, weren't uh, developed enough to change their bodies. So they looked different, they sounded different. They were used as entertainment for singing. They were not like other men. But God says, uh, in as this this chapter unfolds, to the eunuchs who keep my sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, covenant, to them I will give within my temple. And its walls, a memorial and a name are better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Wow. God's ways are higher than our ways. And to people who take, had all their dignity taken off them, God says, in my house, I'm going to have a special place and I'm going to build a monument to you. When you read eunuch, you can insert many situations. Anyone who's been rendered powerless by oppression, by physical or mental health, by their position in society, and God, whose ways are higher than ours, is saying, I'm going to build a monument for you. You may be looked down on or laughed at, an object of ridicule. You may think you've got no hope or no use, but God is saying, you have got a place that is in my house, and it's special. Um, so, monuments, and we have monuments, don't we, to, and memorials to celebrate great people. So, in middle of Trafalgar Square, Nelson, um, stands tall and proud as the nation celebrates his, his, uh, military victories. In Parliament Square, you see Winston Churchill with his trench coat pacing up and down. You see Nelson Mandela. Great people who the whole nation wants to come together to celebrate, not people like eunuchs. But God is saying, I'm going to bring eunuchs into my house. I'm going to have a memorial to them. I'm going to have a, a, a statue to them. So that if you think about the fourth plinth at uh, Trafalgar Square, which stands empty and then rotates, even Neil Sutcliffe gets a go. Do you remember that? About how was that ago? 10, 10, 15 years ago, when Neil Sutcliffe stood in the fourth plinth and read from the Bible... But imagine if that fourth plinth was used to celebrate the people that everyone else laughed at. The people who had no power, no dignity, and no status. There's a a little program a while ago when um, David Attenborough and the Queen were walking around the garden of, I think it was Buckingham Palace, I'm not too sure... And the Queen was showing uh, David Attenborough. It was very sweet. It was like a, a little retirement home um, <laughs> um, uh, show. But they sh- the Queen was showing trees which she had planted for all of her children in, in the garden. Wouldn't it be amazing if the Queen planted trees for all the, the people who died at Grenfell? That's a turnaround which God is, is talking about. Making monuments for people who no one else had any respect for. Chapter 55 is God saying that his ways are higher than our ways. Chapter 56 is him demonstrating it in ways that would have made everyone think, really? Is that true? Recently I've been revisiting the question which most of us ask when we think about getting baptised, and then ask at different points uh, during our walk, I think. And that is, is it really true that salvation is defined by the luck of the geographical draw? So if I'd been born in North India, the chances are that I would have been a Hindu. If I'd been born in Kabul, I'd have been a devout Muslim. And if I'd been born somewhere where there was no contact from Christianity, then I'd have no hope of knowing Jesus. And that doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right because it's just a pure chance, isn't it? A geographical lottery. How do you reconcile that? Well, one answer to say is, well, basically that's it. It's tough. That's, that's how it goes. Jesus said that no one comes to the Father except through me and uh, though it might seem unkind that, that's basically it it's a pretty clear position but it's hard to reconcile with this God whose high ways are higher than our ways who, who says to the nation of Israel's enemies who come from a different culture a different religion come to me another answer to that question is okay well let's go for universalism The idea of universalism is to say, well, there's not really one truth. Um, Basically, everyone thinks what they want to think. And as long as you have some kind of belief and try and live a good life, then it's basically all much for muchness. But I stand here because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, he means it. And that's the truth. I believe you can only find revelation of God through what Jesus gives us. So we have a conundrum. And the reason why this is a thorny topic and one of the reasons why it stops people committing their life to Jesus is because it seems unfair. But this is the reassurance that I started with. That's why I only read Isaiah 56 after reading Isaiah 55. God's ways are higher than ours. We can't outlove God. If I think it's unkind, unfair, then it's even more so to God. I am narrow-minded compared to God. My mind is the size of a pea. So if I see an injustice, then it's a fair bet that God sees it even more so. Isaiah gives us other visions. If you go to chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 1. This is what Isaiah, the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up the sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. The setting for this is clearly the kingdom of God. If they did compilation albums of best verses of the kingdom of God, this would, f- would feature, now that's what I call the kingdom of God, number one. Swords into plowshares. It's a classic kingdom picture. But look at the earlier detail. Many people will come and say, so nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the Mount of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. Now, if people have been taught his ways, it's because they don't know them. It's kind of an obvious point. But if you need to be taught God's ways and his law, then it's because you don't know it in the first place. Yet this is a kingdom picture, classic kingdom picture. And it's not all plain sailing either. Uh, In verse 4 it says that God will judge between the nations and he will settle disputes for many people. So in this kingdom picture, there's a bit of argy-bargy. People aren't quite in agreement because God has to settle the disputes but they will beat their swords into plowshares, and nation will not take up um, sword against nation. Now it might be tempting to think, oh, when it says nation, it just means basically Christians with different languages. But that's not what people at this time would have stood by the term nations. Nation meant different culture, different religion, basically your enemies. And it's not universalism either, is it? It's not that God is saying, come to me, I'll tell you what I think, and then you have a go tell me what you think, and we'll just chat about it for a while. This is God whose mountain is raised higher above anything else, because truth comes from God. And he's teaching people his ways, but he's drawing all nations together. It is the same kind of pictures we read in Isaiah 56. You might like to go back there just to finish that passage off. Isaiah 56 and verse 7 these, let's talk about the foreigners and the eunuchs. I will bring to my holy mountain, and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt sacrifices, burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. It's a picture, I think, of the whole world being brought together in the kingdom of God. Paul tells Ephesians that God's purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, is to unite all things under him, things in heaven and things on earth. So, the impact of God's ways being higher than our ways is pretty big. But like I said, that's a reassurance it's something to make us, if we feel injustice, it's nothing compared to what God feels. It should make us keep judgmental attitudes in check. Because if we're judging without pea sized brains, and God's, the truth is what God thinks, and his ways are higher than ours, then we could be making big mistakes. And it's an invitation to expand our love into the vast expanse. Of God's love. To appreciate just how great that is. In Draw Near to God. Previously mentioned. Earlier on in the service. There is a reference to. A prayer of Paul's. And which you'll see as you read through it. But Paul's prayer is that our love. Will abound. That our tiny ways. Will start to just. Get bigger and bigger. To reach the ways of God. So this. It feels like quite an unusual combination, isn't it? Eunuchs and foreigners. But they come together in a really beautiful story um, in the book of Acts. So we're going to read that together now, Acts chapter 8. And Sheila's going to read from verse 26 to verse 40.
3: Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay with it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself? someone else. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea,
0: it's a fantastic story, isn't it, of this foreigner and eunuch roll, rolled into one, um, going to Jerusalem and then coming back and being converted by Philip. I don't know if the rules had been relaxed, but it could be that as a eunuch, as a eunuch, that all this man could do would go go to Jerusalem but not go anywhere near the temple. At the very best, he could just enter the very outer courts of the temple at this time. Um, Because if I just give you a bit of background to that. um, Worship would have been limited by being a foreigner and a eunuch. Um, Where's my quote gone? Here it is. The entire temple compound was considered holy, but it became increasingly more holy as one went further in from east to west. King Herod had enclosed the outer court with colonnades, And it was referred to the court as the court of the Gentiles, because the Gentiles and non-Jews were permitted to enter the temple area only that far. They could walk within it, but they were forbidden to go any further than the outer court. They were excluded from entering into any of the inner courts, and warning signs in Greek and Latin were placed that gave the warning that the penalty for such trespass was death. Okay, so... There was major exclusions for this eunuch. Maybe he wasn't allowed to go anywhere near the temple full stop, but at the very most, he could just go to those outer courts. But here he was reading from Isaiah chapter 53. And just a few turns of the scroll later, he'd have got to Isaiah chapter 56. And God's invitation for him as a foreigner and a eunuch to come into his house, a house of prayer, not to be held out on the outskirts, to come in and actually in in answering the call of jesus of, of jesus through philip to be reborn he was reborn not as a eunuch not as a foreigner but very simply as a child of god no differentiation no exclusion zones just a child of god like each one of us no restrictions on his worship no limitations on his worth because God had told him, I want you. We're going to take bread and wine in a few short moments. We're going to celebrate his birth. We're going to say celebrate our birth. Because we're all the same. We're all the same in Jesus Christ. No difference. We all come from a bleak place where we have no hope, lost from God. But Jesus called us to him and we are reborn as children of God, made possible by this sacrifice.